Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. And welcome. This is the Mental Health Today show. My name is John Cordray, and I am so excited that you're here because I want to introduce to you somebody that I believe is going to have an interesting story. And she is a Hollywood actress, and she's going to be talking about some of her um, project that she's in, some of her movies. I can't wait to hear a little bit about what it's like to be behind the camera, on the camera. Uh, but I also want to know a little bit more about what it's like to live with anxiety and depression while being in the spotlight. So we're going to be talking about that. This is episode 80 of the Mental Health Today show coming up. And welcome back to the Mental Health Today show. My name is John Cordray, and I'm a national certified therapist. And today I am going to be talking to Aaron Marie Hogan, and she's going to be talking a little bit about um, her movies, what's coming up, but I really want to dive into her struggle because I know she's a mental health advocate, and, and in fact, that's how we started the conversation, and she decided to come on the show with me, thankfully, uh, but I want to hear more about what it's like to her story of living with and struggling with anxiety and depression while being a movie star at the same time. So, Erin, welcome. Yes. Thank so you for having me. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you for being a part of this. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, I, I want to dive right into uh, what you're doing right now. Tell, me, tell us some, some of the movies that you've been in. Uh, I, I want to know maybe a funny, some kind of a funny story or something that you can <laughs> share. Um, and then are you working on anything new, any new projects in the, in the pipeline? Um, well, I would say I'm probably most notorious for doing um, a movie called Paranormal Entity, which was um, the Asylum's version of Paranormal Activity. So if you watch any of the Asylum stuff, you know that they tend to do mockbusters and they make lower budget versions of the same thing and kind of try to get people to buy it that way. Yeah. Um, uh, so that was pretty cool. And there was, <laughs> what's funny about it is that uh, we weren't credited 
in the initial release and it was initially uh, leaked online. And so there was actually a lot of confusion for a couple years. A lot of people thought I was dead, (laughs) (laughs) but I'm not. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. So that was, that was kind of fun. Um, I also, I think some of my bigger stuff, um, I was on um, the third season of Ray Donovan. um, And um, I also, I've done various television um, appearances, but um, more recently, my most recent release is called House of Manson. And it's a, a, a biopic about Charles Manson and more his childhood leading up to his arrest. So kind of speculating uh, using as many facts as we could gather as to how this all came about and why. Uh, so less of a helter-skelter, more of like a biographical type of a thing. Um, and then hopefully in um, in the summer, I think is when we're set, uh, my newest paranormal thriller, Dwelling, will be released. So I, all I know about that, though, is that it's rumored to be released in the summer. But I'm really excited. It's my favorite thing I've ever done. So I'm super stoked. (laughs) That is so fun. So what made you decide to get into acting? Um, You know, I I started out always wanting to be a singer. And acting kind of came with it when you do musical theater and things like that. You can't really just be a singer. So that all came along with it we did a school play when I was in second grade and I don't know if nobody wanted this part or if the teachers just held it off because for some reason they thought I'd be good at it. (laughs) Um, But I was sick the day they, they cast it. And then I came back from being sick and they said, well, do you want this really big part? And I was like, why did nobody take this part? And so I just thought it was great. I had a bunch of fun. And so I got into some student films when I was in middle school and high school. And then I kept doing community theater and um, acting ended up kind of overpowering singing for me. And so that's kind of the route that I took. So, um, yeah, it's, well, that's <laughs> it's a very, slow process. but <laughs> Absolutely. So it started from a very early age that you kind yes. of got that acting bug. So, now, now I, I believe you're from St. Louis, Missouri. Is that correct? I am. Nice. Yes. Well, that's where I'm at. That's where, where I'm based at in St. Louis. So that's a kind of neat connection there. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. So how can, if somebody's interested in maybe seeing some of your movies, uh, mm-hmm. where, where can they go? Where, where would you direct them to go look for um, some of your movies that you've been in? Um, I think the easiest way to find the widest variety of things I've been in would be to purchase them or to stream them on Amazon because a lot of things that um, aren't being produced anymore are on Amazon for resale. Um, You know for sure you can get a DVD or a Blu-ray or a stream on Amazon. Um, If you have Hulu, I know House of Manson is on Hulu as well. Uh, And a lot of times something will just pop up on Netflix that I happen to be in, but I would say Hulu and Amazon are probably the best places to find those things. Okay, great. So what I'll do, Aaron, I'll, I will put a list of 
uh, your movies in my show notes. So if somebody wants to go and say, hey, I want to see Aaron act, I'm really curious about that. <laughs> and rumor has it you die a lot in these movies. Is that correct? Yes. <laughs> yes. So I'm, me, I'm very good at dying. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I always thought that would be the hardest thing to die on screen, but then stay dead. You have to be still. You can't, yeah. you can't show that you're breathing. You get, you have to have obviously a straight face or, or a cold face. If you will. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, you know, overall it's worth it because it really is kind of like a therapy for me because when you're, when you're dying, you're often, not always, but often because I do mostly horror movies, there's a lot of screaming and crying and running from somebody. And those are things that aren't really socially acceptable in normal life that I often kind of want to do. Like, I just feel like running away and screaming down the street and I can't really do that. So it's neat that I get to use that outlet Yes, and, and I get to do that in a way that it's acceptable. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then have <laughs> at that as well. And, and, you know, that's one of the things that I tell uh, a lot of people when they're struggling with really any mental um, health issue, whether it's anxiety, depression, or anything else, is to find an outlet, something that they enjoy doing. And for you, it's acting. Uh, but it's yeah. you know, that's not for everybody. Uh, but maybe for someone else, it's singing or listening to music or just doing something that 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 is an outlet for them. And it sounds like you really found that with acting, and that's great. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So what I like to do is kind of. I want to know a little bit because I, I, we talked just a little bit off air mm -hmm. and you, you are a mental health advocate and yes. meaning uh, you want people to know your story. You're, you're not, you're in Hollywood and yeah. there's a stigma there and there's a yes. stigma everywhere, but in particular, I think in Hollywood and you're not just keeping it to yourself, but you're letting people know and I think that's very courageous, and I think it's awesome that you're able to do that because I think that's one of the biggest stages that you can have as an actress. And then be able to say, you know what? Having a mental illness or mental health issue, it's not wrong. You're not a bad person. There's nothing wrong with you, and and I want to help you. And, and that's exactly what you're doing. You're using your struggles to help other people, and I think that is amazing. So do you mind telling us a little bit? about your story of your struggle with anxiety and depression. And I'm, I'm just guessing that it probably started when you were younger. Yes. Um, I can remember um, times when I was much younger where I had anxiety or um, I would have a, a full-blown panic attack and they didn't know what it was. And I actually, I, <laughs> I remember, and this is, <laughs> Spontaneous combustion is still one of my biggest fears because of this, even though it's, it's a, you know, very debatable, but I was watching an unsolved mysteries when I was, I think 10 about spontaneous combustion. And it scared me so much that I just started to panic and I just felt something like rising in my chest. I started crying. I couldn't breathe. And I just, I just started yelling, take me to the hospital, take me to the doctor, take me to the doctor. And I hated going to the doctor. Mm. So my parents knew something was up. 
so they took me to the emergency room and they misdiagnosed me and told my parents that I had acid reflux. Oh my. And that's what this rising feeling in my chest was. And I don't know, I was, I was like 10. So I don't know, maybe I didn't describe it well, but, um, I definitely was positive. There was just from watching this, I was absolutely positive that I was next. And this feeling in my chest was me about to explode. And I was just sure I was going to catch on fire and that was going to be it. And, um, that's the first time I really remember, um, having something so full blown. Um, but I think, you know, it really kind of started the depression really kind of started its way into my life, um, around eighth grade and, um, continued through high school, but I'm, I'm a very active person who's always kind of doing stuff. So I was kind of able to, you know, just work through it and deal with the day to day. And I had some anxiety that came with things, but I didn't think there was any other option. I was able to get up and do stuff. So I'm going to do it. It wasn't, it wasn't debilitating at the time. And it really got debilitating when I was about 19. And that's when I was finally diagnosed. So, uh, yeah, it was definitely a long time coming, but it wasn't, it, and it, and it affected my relationships with people and things like that. Um, but it wasn't like a debilitating thing. I had jobs. I did, I did pretty well in school. I did after school activities. Definitely wasn't, um, incredibly debilitating until college. Wow. So I, I hear that time and time again, where there's their journey into depression or anxiety or panic attacks really started when they were younger. And it's interesting that you brought up, it may have been as a result of a movie that you watched mm -hmm. because I have, I remember my biggest scariest movie. I was a little kid, but there was a movie that came out. I believe it's called the car and it was a black car. Mm -hmm. It was a back, back in the seventies. And then there was this black car and it was, driving by itself and i was a little kid and it was oh. rubbing people over and scaring people and at the very end this it looked like this black demon came out of this car it's like oh my word that is scary you know for an eight-year-old yeah. kid that was a scary movie and you know i yeah. remember another classic movie uh and and it's a release or or, or a i think a release coming out this summer is called it by stephen king it. Yes. Clowns. You wouldn't believe how many people are afraid and, and have a phobia over clowns because of that movie or that book. Yeah. Somehow it was one of the two first horror movies I watched. And somehow I was never afraid of bugs until I saw it. And it somehow instilled in me this ungodly fear of spiders. And it never left. And now I watch it and I'm like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> like, like, really? Like, but I'm so terrified of spiders. And I never was until I watched it. And that's kind of part of what makes horror really cool that is more interesting to me is I'm like, wow, this had real long-term life effects on me. Like I have a specific phobia of spiders 
And I'm pretty sure it came from watching this movie. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. You know, when you're young, you know, the, the human brain doesn't fully develop until you're around 25. And so it makes a lot of sense as, as a child, when you're exposed to something very traumatic, even just watching it like a movie, it's still traumatic. And it's still, it's almost like a brand. It brands itself onto your brain and it, 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 yeah. you can't really explain it. Uh, but like you said, arachnophobia is a fear of spiders. And I know my mom has an intense fear of snakes. And as a, mm -hmm. as a, a teenager, I would go out and get snakes on purpose to scare my mom. And oh. I feel bad about it now, but at the time. You were horrible. <laughs> so, oh. so, okay. So what made you decide to be an advocate for mental health? We'll be back after a quick break. Hi, this is Ross, the host of Smells Like Humans. Each week, we talk about the curious things that people do. This show is for you when you're in the mood for unscripted, lighthearted conversation, personal stories, and just a smattering of psychology and information you can use. I promise we will make your day pass a little faster and put a smile on your face. Sometimes silly, sometimes serious, but always fun. Please join us, because no matter who you are, we all smell like humans. Please follow the link in the show notes. Well, um, there's a lot of things that added up, um, such as just me having kind of small panic attacks on set that I was able to deal with, but I had to find some way to explain why I was absent for like five minutes drinking cold water and people would be, you know, upset, but I, but I was able to handle that because when I'm working is when I'm the most stable. Um, little things like that. Um, and then really it came along after I found out of, um, a filmmaker I used to be friends with had written and produced and directed a film that she actually asked me to be in. But I found out later through several people that a very unstable um, character in the film was supposed to be based on me. Hmm. And um, this character was doing really reckless things that I would never do. And at the time that she wrote this, um, or at the time that this part was written, I had only spoken to this person once. And I thought it was pretty messed up to be writing something like this about somebody when you don't know anything about their life. Uh, you know, it's so far off from anything that's actually happened to me or anything like that. And I was really, really insulted. And then this person also proceeded to spread rumors about my mental health and um, ended up saying I couldn't do the film because I was too mentally unstable, which is not true. Mm. I wasn't comfortable with the content and I thought it was insulting. And that's why I didn't do it. Um, and that whole thing really got me thinking about how maybe I would just look better if I took the risk and just came out and said something. And maybe these people would kind of look like jerks 
for picking on me because of this and doing such a thing if people knew the truth. So even though I knew it was going to put a little bit of a damper on, um, on work because anybody knew who might come in and get to know me and see that I was open about my mental health, they might be concerned about hiring me. But so many, especially creative types, um, suffer with depression and anxiety and things like that, that I just thought, you know, I think it's going to, I'm, I'm going to look better. These people are going to look like jerks. And then maybe I can help somebody because it's just, it's just so long to to me to continuously spread rumors and call somebody crazy and, and speculate about their mental health. It's so, it's so dismissive. And I just really don't think it's okay. So I just decided to make myself the example. That's fantastic. You know, unfortunately, there are going to be people who think wrongly. They're going to say things. They're going to behave wrongly because they simply do not understand. And really, if, if nobody understands, unless either you have personally gone through this or someone close to you has gone through it, and it's a very real thing. That's why I'm doing the show. You know, my tagline for the show is helping to end stigma of mental illness one show at a time. And I want to, that's the whole reason why I'm doing my podcast in all the social media. Everything that I do is to help people who are struggling with mental illness. And I want them to hear loud and clear. It is not their fault. They're not crazy. And, and, and there's not something wrong with them. And that's something that a lot of people struggle with. What's wrong with me? Something's wrong with me. And, yes. and so I want them to know from a licensed therapist, there's nothing wrong with you. You're struggling and you need to get help. You need to be open about it. And I'm sure you would agree with this, Aaron. If you're struggling, don't do it alone. Don't do it secretively. You've got to open up and share your struggle with somebody and if needed, a therapist. Wouldn't you agree, Aaron? I, I completely agree, you know, and you don't have to be as open about it as I've decided to be, but just to have, yeah. have a therapist have, you know, that one person maybe that, that you can talk to about things, but, you know, just to try and deal with it alone. A lot of, a lot of times, you know, I go in thinking, okay, everybody's having this adverse reaction to something I did or said, or how I'm feeling. And I'll go into my therapist or I'll go into another professional or a group or something to talk about it. And what I hear is that these people are having a reaction that is in fact adverse <laughs> and that, you know, the people in this group or the people in my therapy don't find what I did or said to be that odd or off or more like to definitely not warrant the reaction that I'm getting. Yeah. So, you know, I think people also just kind of knowing that it's that stigma, knowing that you have depression or that you're bipolar or, or anything of that sort constantly in the back of their minds, looking for something that they can blow out of proportion, whether it's intentional or not. I think they're kind of not taken as seriously as any other person. And that's, that's really unfair. And I just want people to know that we all deserve to be taken seriously just because I get more upset or I 
you know, panic and can't function for a few minutes doesn't mean that, you know, my opinions and my feelings aren't valid. Exactly. Absolutely right. And and I would say even a child, their feelings are valid. And I talked yes. to a, a lot of parents who don't understand what their child is going through and they confuse it with being rebellious and, and maybe they refuse, they, they can't go to school and they put up a fight, but it's not being, they just don't want to go to school. They have intense anxiety about going to school. And, and that's something yeah. that parents need to take in consideration. And, and you're exactly right. That's if people who are not struggling need to offer that compassion and that try to understand where the other person's coming from. That's the biggest thing that you can do. A lot of people yes. say, what do I need to help? How can I help somebody? Maybe my friend or spouse or, or somebody else that's struggling. I don't know what to say. And simply it's just, just be there and even say, I don't know what to say, but I'm here for you. That can yes. make a big difference. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think um, since you brought that up, I think one of the biggest errors that people make when they really want to help. So this is for anybody, you know, who, who has a friend or a loved one who's suffering and they're wondering what they can do to help. To me personally, it really enrages me when um, I just want to talk about something and I'm constantly being offered solutions and not just the outlet to discuss it. Yes. Um, because a lot of times if I, first of all, most of these things I've tried. And so it makes me feel like, it makes me feel like the person thinks I'm stupid because even though I know that's not the case, it makes me feel in the moment that that person thinks I'm stupid because why wouldn't I have already tried these things? Yeah. Like all, all I'm looking for is somebody to talk to. So offering solutions is off, often, I think, much more damaging than just being somebody who's there to listen. Absolutely. And, and I always say, tell the person that you're there to listen first. And then if you are wanting to help with solutions, ask for it. Don't yes. just automatically say, hey, I think you should try this. Right. Because exactly. That it doesn't help. It's like, duh, don't you think I would have thought of that before? <laughs> I've been living yeah. it all my, all, all my life. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Aaron, before we end our time, and and this has been awesome. I I love you know to hear uh, you talk about your struggle, but it's not keeping you from being in the spotlight. It's not keeping you right. from getting on. I mean, people, I, I'm sure a lot of people realize this, but a lot of people don't. When you're watching a movie, you don't see all the stage hands and all the lights and all the people <laughs> that are off camera. And if yeah. you're struggling with anxiety, maybe a little bit of panic, and you know that the camera's on you. you got to remember your lines. That's hard. And so uh, it, it's great to hear your, your struggle with that, but you're not letting your struggle keep you from doing what you really love to do. And, but that's not a, a say, exactly. I know a lot of people have to do that, whether it's work or something they have to get off, uh, stop mm -hmm. going to work or something, but that's okay. But you're, you're working through it. Yes. And, and I think that is awesome. I think that's, that's the biggest thing I think people need to hear from someone who actually is struggling that, yeah, they struggle. It doesn't mean it's gone when you're, when you're in the movie and, and recording the filming, the movie, it's still there, but you're able yes. to cope with it and, yes. and, and, and learn to work with it. And, and so uh, before we end, I would love to hear a couple, if you can, 
a couple of coping strategies that maybe you have found that helps you. It may not help everybody, but for you, yeah. here are a couple of coping strategies that that has helped helped you. Um, I think definitely the biggest thing is that if I start to feel something coming on, even if nothing's going to happen, I try and ask to take a few minutes to myself as soon as I can, whether it's to go to the bathroom or whatever it may be. And I try to get just some cold water and breathe and count my breaths. Yes. And then at least my, my temperature is lower. I know that I'm hydrated and I'm focusing on something that's not whatever is causing me an issue. I'm literally just focusing on counting my breaths. And which is so mundane and so boring that eventually I end up coming down a lot of the time. Um, you know, and another thing is really, you know, like we touched on earlier that I've found something that I really, really love. And the great thing for me with doing the kinds of films and stuff that I do is that um, if I've had to work through something that was really upsetting or made me really anxious and never really got the outlet that I wanted for that, I'm able because of my genre to put kind of relate things in the script to mm -hmm. things that I went through and how I might've felt then. And so as long as I'm working, like I said, I'm very stable because I get to get those emotions out in an appropriate way. So definitely, you know, finding something once you've, once you've found a way to calm yourself in the moment, finding something, whether it's art, for, for me, it's acting and dying on camera, you know, um, whether it's doing music, whether, whatever it is, finding something that you can put that emotion to and feel like you've let it go is a really useful, more of a long-term solution. Yeah, I, I love that. And, and you, you talking about cold water and, and counting, I, I talked to my clients that all the time. And really it's interesting when you're talking about anxiety and panic, uh, your, your, your mind, I always use the analogy that your mind has two balloons. One balloon is the emotional balloon. The other balloon is the logical balloon. And so when your panic comes out, that, that emotional balloon starts to inflate and it crowds out your logic. So you're not really thinking logically, you're fully in that emotional balloon. So right. do things like cold water on your face and drinking cold water, even dunking your water in cold water or face in cold water. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a lot. That sends logical signals to your brain. And so you're using the logic part of your brain to help calm the emotional brain. And that is a key. If you if you can remember that, whatever, wherever you're at, even if you don't have access to water, you can just say, OK, what can I do? That's very logical to help bring my emotional balloon down. And I think right. that can be a big part of it. Just learning and understanding and using your struggle mm -hmm. to do what you're doing, I think is great. And you're not letting it stop you. Not, not only not, not letting it stop you, you're <laughs> using it to have this come out in your characters. Yes. <laughs> that's really, really cool as well. Aaron, yeah. thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule, a Hollywood star. <laughs> and uh, I, I'm going to go out and see if I can find some of your movies too, because I'm really curious. Uh, uh, but just again, yeah. <laughs> in my show notes, I will put your uh, the links to your movies so people can look at them. Uh, you mentioned uh, 
probably the best place would go to Amazon and uh, maybe, mm-hmm. like you said, stream it or maybe um, find a, a DVD yes. uh, if people still have DVD players. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> but it's out there. And, and probably if they just type in your name, are you okay if people just type in your name and find out the movies or go, go to oh, yeah. a movie place and figure that out too? Yeah. Or I can even, I can find, uh, I can find various, like the best places to get them to and I can shoot that over to you as well. Oh, great. Yeah. If you do that, I'll make sure that gets onto the show notes. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you, Karen. I really appreciate it. Maybe, maybe some uh, some other time, we'll we can talk about other things if you're interested. And and um, I, again, I'm able, yeah. and willing to do anything for you as well. So you just let <laughs> me know. <laughs> so, All right. <laughs> thank you so much, and thank you for listening or watching because this show is being recorded on Facebook Live as well. I appreciate you being here. You are awesome, and don't forget, <laughs> I am your chief encouragement officer, your CEO. Thank you and take care. (laughs) Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.